Oh, your day is winding down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. This evening is a congressman from the 4th Congressional District, recently re-elected, Jake Auchincloss. Congressman, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Uh So, you were recently re-elected. You were the only member of the Massachusetts delegation to run unopposed. Um, there was also elections statewide. Uh, you know, we have a straight Democratic ticket. There was big wins for Democrats. A uh, mayor from your district, uh, Paul Haro, was elevated to Bristol County Sheriff. Um, you have a political action committee, too, that's uh, uh, dedicated to helping Democrats get elected uh, across the country. Um, what are your thoughts on how the midterms went here in Massachusetts and uh, across the country? Nationally, this was about voters rejecting extremism. Democrats hugely outperformed the historical trend, just to give our listeners a sense. Since the Great Depression in the 22 midterms, uh, the president's party has lost on average of 28 seats. And although we don't have final tabulations for this cycle, there's no doubt that Democrats are going to do two or three times better than that. And the obvious question is why? What was different this time? Well, what was different is one, Democrats fielded very strong candidates who were authentic to their district and who distanced themselves from hard left outside the mainstream positions, particularly on crime, and who focused on lowering costs. And two, uh, who drew a sharp contrast with Republicans who have really extremist positions, particularly on democracy and on a woman's right to make her own medical decisions. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District, uh, recently reelected. Congrats on your reelection, by the way. Why do you think you ran unopposed uh, this, uh, this cycle after a pretty tight primary in uh, 2020 uh, when you got elected? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't use as a marker of of success or failure whether or not I have an opponent. I, I represent eight hundred thousand people, and what any one of them might decide to do on a given cycle or not is outside my control. Right. What I can control is whether I'm doing my three core jobs well. That is, am I representing people's values, their values on the national stage at a time when democracy is under threat, at a time when women's rights are under threat? Am I uh, doing a good job of making sure that the, the my vote my vote, voice and vote on the hill reflects people's values. That's number one. Uh, number two, am I advancing their priorities? Are we, are we getting stuff done for the district, whether it's water treatment facilities, whether it's roads and bridges, uh, whether it's climate action and and uh, uh, and healthcare policy? Am I advancing people's core priorities? And then number three is, am I delivering excellent constituent services, uh, whether it's passports or social security checks? 
when people are calling their congressional office, they're usually at the end of the line. They're usually really in a, in a tough situation, and we need to be responsive and, uh, and get things done for them. I, I think we did a good job on all three of those in my, in my first term. It was a historic term. Uh, my first Wednesday in office was January 6th, uh, and from there it was pandemic response, infrastructure, Afghanistan, guns, Ukraine, science, semiconductors, climate action, a lot going on. And I do think with a terrific team around me, I, I authentically represented people's values on the, on the momentous questions of the day. I advanced their priorities, and, and we made sure that we were delivering strong constituent services. We're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th uh, Congressional District. So speaking of uh, Ukraine, you recently pushed back on uh, a proposal uh, for a quote-unquote diplomatic push by some of your colleagues in the House and uh, I think in the Biden administration as well. You called it an olive branch to a war criminal. Uh, Can you explain uh, your position on that? This was a letter signed by... 30 members of the House on the left flank of the party, they rescinded the letter within 24 hours, which was the responsible thing to do. And the letter was calling for direct negotiations with Russia, which is not something that the Biden administration has uh, put forward and certainly not something that Ukraine has put forward at this point. Uh, We need to stand with Ukraine in all seasons, summer, winter, fall, uh, because they're fighting on the front lines of the free world. We need to arm them with the materiel and the economic support that they need to sustain their fight. We need to continue to asphyxiate the Kremlin war machine with energy, central bank and commercial sanctions. And we need to continue to work through our alliances, both NATO and East Asian alliances, to isolate Russia on the world stage. This has been the president's strategy. It's a three-pronged strategy. It's working. It's working. Ukraine is on the march. Uh, Just today, we're seeing signs that Russia has fully abandoned Kherson, although understandably the Ukrainians are skeptical. Uh, that's a huge blow against the Kremlin. Uh, when you're winning on the ground, you don't negotiate against yourself. We need to continue to change the facts on the ground to put Ukraine in the strongest position possible. And then Ukraine will decide when and in what manner they think it's appropriate to discuss things with Russia. But that's not the United States' place. So um, what you're saying is you're seeing, is there light at the end of the tunnel on this Ukraine-Russia conflict? Uh, yeah. What I think is this, on February 24th, when those Russian tanks crossed the border, uh, which was something that U.S. intelligence had been warning about for months, but that our European and indeed our Ukrainian allies did not believe would actually happen. When those tanks crossed the border, if you had said to the top national security experts in the world that the situation nine months later would look as it does today, they would never have believed you. They would have said, no way. Russia will take Kiev, Russia will take the South, they will landlock the country, they will annex um, Russophone populations in the East, and it will be successful. Uh, And and that's just not been the case. We've seen that in many respects the Russian military is a paper tiger. We have seen that their command and control style of of invasion has been a failure. We have seen that the West has held together much better than people thought. And most importantly, we have seen the Ukrainians fight like lions. And... Given this success and momentum of the Ukrainian cause, you don't want to give Vladimir Putin an inch. Why, why would you make his job easier right now? Right. We're speaking with uh, Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. Um, so you had a, uh, coming back to your district, you had a climate summit today. Uh, I believe it was, was it today or was it a, yeah. a couple? 
okay, today with um, your predecessor, uh, former Congressman Joe Kennedy. Um, what was that like? Um, you know, what, uh, what did you come out of that uh, summit with? I hosted uh, two different conferences in the two days following the election, just to make clear where my priorities are at, frankly, regardless of who holds the gavel in Washington, D.C. So yesterday was an affordable housing conference in Attleboro and brought together elected uh, officials, uh, housing development experts in the nonprofit and for-profit spheres, as well as HUD and, and then the state agencies, to talk about the nuts and bolts of how we build more affordable housing. It's my opinion that the cost of housing is the single biggest challenge facing Massachusetts right now. And I'm here to be a strong federal partner to Governor Healy uh, as she takes the reins and, and puts her political capital behind getting to solutions. So number one, we got to lower costs for people, particularly in housing. Number two, today, did a climate summit and had three separate panels, one on science and technology, one on Massachusetts uh, initiatives, both in industry and policy, and then one on international affairs. Because climate action and clean energy is the generational priority uh, of our era. Um, We've made huge progress in the previous Congress. The Inflation Reduction Act was the biggest, boldest climate action in history, and um, the United States is is on track uh, to be within striking distance of our Paris Accord commitments. We really are leading as a country again, uh, but the work is just beginning, and we need to seize the momentum that we have built in the 117th to go into the 118th and make progress on policy and on, on um, science and technology as well. Uh, and Massachusetts is the best place in the world to do that. So uh, speaking of going into the 118th, you know, you, you did talk about uh, this being a, reje- a rejection of Republican extremism. Um, we see, we're seeing Lauren Boebert uh, either losing or at least very much on her heels in her district in, uh, in Colorado. It looks like there's narrowly a path uh, for Democrats to retain the House. Um, if not, uh, you know, this will be the first time you're in uh, the minority uh, during your tenure in Congress. Um, what are you expecting uh, with that transition? It'll be less fun. Yeah. The majority, no doubt right. about that. Yeah. I've been warned by my predecessor that it's uh, yeah. <laughs> can be brutal at times. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think we have to be extremely focused on. 2024, because in 2024, the Senate map is going to be incredibly challenging for Democrats. In 2024, the uh, presidency is obviously going to be a, uh, a jump ball. We, we all know how close these presidential elections are, and, and there's no right. doubt that it's going to be close. The House potentially could be the firewall for democracy. There's, there's a scenario where it's, it's, that the House is what is preventing a true concert, constitutional crisis. And we're within striking distance, um, regardless of whether we keep or lose the majority this cycle, we know we're going to be in striking distance to have the majority next cycle. And so we're going to have to double down on the strategy that really worked for us in 2022, which is, again, strong, authentic candidates who understand their districts, can speak to their districts, who are not getting wrapped up in some of the problematic national brand of the the Democratic Party. Uh, Number two, who are laser focused on lowering costs across the board, housing, healthcare, childcare, higher education. And then number three, we're going to draw some very stark, very specific contrasts with their opponents on issues like abortion and protecting democracy. Voters don't like extremism. They don't like it. And when they have a chance to vote against extremism, they will do it, but it has to be made transparent. What, what is, you said, um, uh, problem, uh, some, 
uh, something problematic with the Democrats' national brand? Uh, what exactly are the problematic like labels? The, I, I, overall, it's a it's a matter of tone. Democrats cannot condescend to voters. People don't want to be lectured. They want to be enlisted right. in a cause bigger than themselves. They do not want to be talked down to. And I do think that, that Democrats can do that. There's no question about it uh, on, on issues of public safety, on, um, on issues of, of, of climate even. It, just, it can be a, a matter of verbiage. It can be a matter of, oh, you, we know what's best. We, the party has that challenge. We know that. We've, we, we've talked about that. Um, internally and externally, but the very best, but the candidates that you see that are winning in these last couple of days are candidates who very deliberately don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, my, my friend, Jared Golden, just won a very tough race in the main second. Yeah. Brutal seat, Trump plus seven, and uh, came under just millions of dollars of attack ads. Uh, there is no member of Congress more authentic who cares more about what his constituents think about an issue, who is more independent-minded, who is more willing to stand up uh, to his own party when necessary if he thinks they're getting it wrong, than Jared Golden. And guess what? He's coming back to Congress. He's coming back to Congress when many of the pundits said it just wasn't possible. Yeah, I know you went up to Maine with uh, Congressman Golden. Uh, you also were an early supporter, even during the primary, of Seth Magaziner, who won a nationally looked at race, a race that the Republicans felt they could they could win against Alan Fung, the mayor of Cranston. And uh, in, in fact, uh, Fung was leading outside the margin for error in polls. How was uh, Magaziner able to um, to to win that election, do you think? Seth deserves a lot of credit for running that race the way he did. I think there was um, a lot of pressure on those, in those last several weeks because Kevin McCarthy made Fung really his poster boy for midterms and put a ton of money and a ton of time into lifting him up. So Seth deserves a ton of credit for just being disciplined and running the race that he knew could be successful. And he's a, he's a known quantity in Rhode Island, well-respected, obviously state treasurer and, and People understood that he was competent. He was very clear about the issues he was running on. It was about cost. It was about tying uh, Alan Fong to the extremist agenda of the Republican Party. And I know that people say, oh, Alan's a moderate. He was moderate mayor. He's a moderate guy. I, you know, if you're going to vote for Kevin McCarthy, and then Kevin McCarthy's going to pick up the phone and call Mar-a-Lago to get marching orders, uh, if you're going to vote for a national abortion ban, I'm sorry. That doesn't put you in the moderate bucket. And I think... Drawing that contrast very clearly for voters can pay off uh, because if a party is going to espouse unpopular out of the mainstream positions, then their candidates are going to have to own those positions. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss. Um, Congressman, uh, you sit, I believe, sit on the uh, January 6th committee. Um, that incident happens uh, just as you were sworn in, like your very one of your very first days uh, in Congress. Um, what are you guys uncovering in the January 6th committee, and what are you looking forward to uncovering with the January 6th committee? I don't sit on the committee. No, no freshmen are on the committee. Oh. I have certainly been watching and supporting its work closely. Uh, what the, what, the, what the committee is doing is laying out a searing and detailed fact pattern of the events leading up to and the day itself, which clearly point to culpability for Donald Trump himself. Uh, incitement of insurrection is a violation of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, and it 
should preclude anybody who is guilty of it from running for federal office again. Right. You know, this isn't Jake's opinion. This is the Constitution. Uh, and so I think the January 6th fact pattern should be used to disqualify uh, the 45th president from, from trying to seek office again. So coming back to uh, Massachusetts, uh, you mentioned Governor-elect Healy. Uh, I've spoken with her on this issue. I've spoken with um, Lieutenant Governor-elect Kim Driscoll. They're both uh, champions of offshore wind. Uh, one of your one of the things you campaigned on when you first ran for Congress uh, was a robust climate uh, plan, including offshore wind, which is big in the southern part of your district. Uh, what are you looking forward to working with the Healy administration um, on offshore wind? And what can we look forward to here in the South Coast coming with uh, offshore wind? Two things in particular. There's a lot happening, uh, but I'll, I'll point to two. Actually, three. Three, if you'll if you'll give me the time. Sure. Uh, the, the first is uh, we we gotta we gotta get, get over this this hiccup that we're having here with Commonwealth Wind and and the yeah. renegotiation of that contract. Um, and that that's gonna you know potentially straddle the Baker and the Healy administrations. I've already made clear to all interested parties that I'm here to be a convener and to help those negotiations. Those negotiations aren't. They're not really with me. They're, they're between the utilities and the state and the, and the developer. But to the extent that I can help bring people together, uh, I've done that before. I'll do it again. And I'm, I'm in close conversations with, with those parties. And, uh, it's really in everybody's interest that we uh, get this contract negotiated and, and get, get turbines in the water, jobs, and its energy. Number two, uh, as part of the Chips and Science Act, which we passed about a year ago, maybe six months ago, we put significant funding towards basic research and the national science foundation is now issuing uh grants for projects that can tie together basic research with economic and workforce development and i've been coordinating with a number of institutions in massachusetts tufts uh the aquarium uh woods hole and then the municipalities of new bedford and fall river Bristol community college all of them on a grant application to the National Science Foundation to see if we can turbocharge offshore wind, not just the research, but also the economic and workforce development. Very excited about that. Very competitive grant. Very, very competitive grant. Um, but we're certainly going to put our best foot forward here in Massachusetts for it. Uh, and then third is there's a continued effort in Congress to saddle the offshore wind industry with, with regulations that are really going to be detrimental to its to its development, and I've been fighting against them successfully this Congress, and I will <laughs> I will continue to fight against it next Congress, and maybe even put it to bed by by trying to negotiate a, a bipartisan deal. What, um, what in particular? I remember you having a discussion with a Republican congressman, I th- I think from a Southern state, about uh, something regarding foreign vessels. Um, but yeah. uh, what what in particular do you think in Congress is there that's a threat against offshore wind? It's really this tension, and it, it cuts across parties. It's not even necessarily D versus R. It, it's a tension between um, the desire for American-made, American-manned wind installation vessels, the uh, very expensive vessels of which there are only about three operative in the world right now, and the desire to get this thing underway and then grow with the industry. And, you know, both sides have good faith arguments. This isn't something where one side's, you know, all right and one side's all wrong. Um, it's a matter of practicality and trying to get to a negotiated solution where, where both people feel like, hey, we're, um, you know, we're protecting and, and developing American shipbuilding, but we're also allowing for offshore wind to really take off. There's a negotiation to be had here. There's a compromise to be had here. Unfortunately, right now, the other side is 
not putting forward things that I think are good for the South Coast. And the South Coast is always going to come first in these negotiations for me. Um, so we're fighting back hard. I think we're going to win uh, this term. But I remain willing to, to, to sit down and try to get to a place that's a, a good compromise that both sides feel like they win on. So we're speaking with Congressman Jake Auchincloss of the 4th Congressional District. So during your first term, you had uh, Speaker Pelosi come to your district. I believe you had uh, Second Gentleman Doug Emhoff. Um, you know, you've always uh, been very active in your district when you're home, uh, when you're uh, back here in Massachusetts. Um, what have you done this trip uh, home in your district uh, besides the climate summit um, to, you know, just reach out to your constituents and see what's uh, important to them? Yeah, well, we had Joe Biden come here, too, to Brayton Point. That's speaking true. Of offshore wind. Yes. Uh, I've, I've been all over the district in the last month. As you said, October has been a, a district work period. Um, so uh, Fall River, Attleboro, Taunton, uh, as well as the, the inner suburbs of Boston and the northern part of the district. It's really one of the best ways I like to engage is in small group discussions. I feel like I get the most out of those sometimes. I mean, there's always different formats that make sense. Today was a, was a much bigger conference because of the, because of the issue in the panels. But, you know, for one example, I, I did a food security roundtable a couple weeks ago where I really just got to listen for an hour and a half to the nonprofit providers of, of food uh, for some of the most vulnerable people in the Massachusetts forest. And that those kinds of, of conversations are oftentimes where I, learn the most and then also where the germs of of new initiatives or legislation come from we're speaking with uh, congressman jake auchincloss of the fourth congressional district so you um you sat on the house transportation committee you were vice chair of financial services uh going into your new term uh you know speaking with speaker and potentially minority leader uh pelosi um are you planning on uh retaining those committee appointments uh have you spoken about any other committee appointments We'll see how it shakes out. There's a, we got to tabulate the votes. We got to, you know, elect new leadership, and then we got to do committee assignments. So there's a lot of dominoes to fall before the committees are placed. But these are two good committees that I'm on: transportation, infrastructure, and financial services. T and I has allowed me to be very involved in the bipartisan infrastructure law and to to weigh in a lot. I think helpfully on offshore wind and protecting that industry. Uh, so that's a that's been a good committee. Financial services, housing, obviously has been a, a big element of that as well as community development. So I've enjoyed them. I think we've done good work on them, uh, but I'll, I'll have to evaluate it once more once more of these dominoes fall. So um, before uh, I let you go, Congressman, I, I, did, I haven't had a chance to speak with you since the Inflation Reduction Act uh, has been uh, has been passed, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that, and uh, you know what people here in the um, in Massachusetts can expect uh, with the uh, passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Two big things. First of all, biggest, boldest climate action and clean energy commitment in history. It, it's difficult to overstate how transformative this is. It, it will cut U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent by 2030. It is turbocharging all of the science and technology that we know we need to get to the other side of, of the climate catastrophe and avoid some of the worst effects of what the current trajectory is for 2050. Um, this, this is the seminal piece of climate policy ever. So that, that's one. And then number two, lower health care costs. Uh, in January, uh, seniors across America are going to see their Medicare premiums go down. They're going to see their Social Security checks go up by about $120 on average. First time that 
that one-two punch has happened in more than a decade. That's critical. We, we are uh, facing a period of higher costs. There's a lot of reasons for that. It's monetary policy, it's energy shock, it's food prices, it's housing prices. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, and you know, I wouldn't claim otherwise. But where we can help, we need to, and lowering health care premiums is a, is a darn good start. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, appreciate you coming on. It's always a pleasure, and uh, congratulations on your re-election. Thanks, Marcus. Have a good one. Download the W. Come to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. That was Congressman Jake Auchincloss, uh, represents a good chunk of our listening audience here in the South Coast. Um, has had a very high-profile first term and looks to be gearing up for a very uh, high-profile second term uh, as well. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hey, good evening. Hey. Hey, I just I picked up, you know, you asked the congressman, you know, about the Inflation Reduction Act, what we can expect, and I didn't hear anything about inflation reduction. I just heard about greenhouse gases and health care. Yeah. And meanwhile, the whole windshield the wind farm deal it seemed like it fell through because of maybe inflation yeah i think that's just one company the the with uh commonwealth wind i mean mayflower mayflower winds uh putting uh sending their turbines uh out to new bedford in about a month or so so that seems very much um on uh on schedule with the inflation reduction act like you know their arguments are that there's going to be Look, it's branding, right? I, I agree with you. It's just branding. Like their arguments are be going to be like, oh, there's healthcare savings, and that's going to reduce inflation. And uh, you know, if we uh, invest in green energy, it's going to reduce uh, the cost of you know we're going to be less dependent on oil, and that's going to reduce you know your the cost of fuel and all of that. But um, I think it's just branding. I, I agree. It's it's I just like wonder what the cost is. I mean, I don't. I'm sure if someone's already went through it, but I mean, so. A lot of these things don't work unless they're in greater than, you know, 200 feet of water and, and uh, you know, 30 miles offshore. I mean, mm. what does that cost to build that that far out and run the cables all the way back here? And then with all the maintenance that far out, I just, I don't know. I just think that it seems like it's a, there's a huge cost to build it and maintain it with no guarantee that it's going to do anything. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it so it, it's new here. It's not new in, like... Europe and like the Nordic countries, like you've heard Mayor Mitchell's uh, uh, out in the UK, because uh, out in Europe they do have uh, they do have offshore wind, and um, you know now they're introducing it here. Uh, I guess you know you're right; it's still an unknown here. Like, and we'll see. I I, I agree with you there. I, we don't we don't not actually know what the impact uh, is going to be, yeah. but and everyone here is set up for. And hey, I'm all for like you know. You know, using wind power and, uh, you know, sun power and all that stuff. But I think it's going to be a gradual transition. It would be great if some of this inflation reduction could reduce the, you know, the here and now, the electricity and the, and the oil and the and the gas, and then maybe yeah. one day slowly transfer over. But it just seems like it's well, not going that well, way. Well, I don't think anybody thinks that the wind power is going to, like, there is there is no, like, amount of wind power right now. At wind power as it stands cannot... Um, sustain an entire electrical grid, uh, you know, yeah. so that's, you know, it's not, you know, it's, you know, 10, 15% maybe of an electrical grid in certain states. So that's, I think, I think, um, I think most people who are even pushing uh, wind power right now do agree that it's not the, it's not the cure all. Uh, it may be one day, but it's not the cure all now. Yeah. There's a, Hey, there's a listing right now on Craigslist in South coast. Someone's given away a free, 
200-foot uh, wind tower with the turbine attached. They said, come and get it. Oh, really? Yeah, Two, literally. 200? Yeah, but I'm just... <laughs> 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 you need a big yacht to put it in, though, I guess. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> it's out there. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> it's up there. Take a look. Uh, South Coast Craigslist. Okay. Yeah, have a good one. You as well. 508-996-0500. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a believer in renewable energy, and I think it is going to bring good things. But, yeah, it's it's new to this industry, right? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that do believe in it. Um, Charlie Baker, the state legislature. Um, it, 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 it is, uh, offshore wind, uh, it, it, it is, you know, we're, we're setting up to be the staging area for an entirely new industry. Um, yeah, Commonwealth wind that does need to be adjusted. Um, but you know, not everything can be, I think a seamless, um, transition at the upstart. Like, uh, you know, we, I think about the, um, the golf course, the advanced manufacturing campus. Um, a lot of the economic factors right now are making that, um, Difficult to execute at the outset, but I think most people agree uh, that adding an advanced manufacturing campus, adding, um, you know, ha- having the opportunity to add like a thousand new jobs uh, and developable property will, and, you know, obviously increase tax revenue is, is a good thing for the city. It's just, and for the region, it's just difficult to, um, it's just at the time difficult to, to implement, you know, just because something I think has a hiccup, you know, it's, at, you know, at the outset doesn't mean, you know, once you get over those, you know, once you get over the growing pains, let's say, uh, that it won't be um, a uh, both a profitable and more importantly, um, serviceable. Uh, it won't provide a, you know, doesn't mean it won't be profitable and it won't provide a good service is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, I mean, I I think uh, until it gets here, until those turbines get up, and and we see the impacts of it, I, I think you know, I, I you know, I'm not. I think you're, it's fine to be. Um, I think it's fine to be skeptical of things until we see them. But I, I'm definitely a believer in that. Obviously, you know, we're seeing the gas prices and all that. It's never going to get. It might get better, but it's never going to get that much better, right? It's never going to get that much better. Uh, so. I think we need to, you know, energy costs in general. So I think we need to move on to ways to f- try to find that, make that um, more tenable. Because uh, right now, it's definitely not tenable. Um, all right, I'm going to take a break. By the way, tonight we have uh, after the congressman, um, and we'll have the podcast up later uh, soon. After the congressman, we're going to have um, Armin Thomas. I had him on a couple weeks ago to, to, to preview the midterms. He's an elections mapper. Um, so we're going to talk about, you, you know, we're going to talk about what, uh, we're going to talk about what um, the, uh, like, what to make of all this stuff, right? What to make of all the midterms, you know, the results, the pending results. You know, it was Lauren Boebert, the high profile you know, far right congresswoman from Colorado. Is she going to survive? She's in a very, very tight uh, reelection race uh, over there with an Aspen, I think an Aspen city councilor. So uh, is Raphael Warnock going to win is, well, they've got a runoff, I think, but is Mark Kelly going to get reelected? Right. So there's a lot to make sense out of not here in Massachusetts. Everything was basically decided, right? We know that. By the way, I thought Barry did an ex- had an excellent interview with Sheriff Hodgson today. Um, I thought it was pretty good. So uh, 
0500. We're going to take a break. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Hey, Pete. WBSM isn't just a broadcast. It's also a podcast. Get all of our podcasts at WBSM.com, the WBSM app, or just search WBSM on your favorite podcast provider. Hey, welcome back to South Coast tonight, 508-996-0500. Yeah, so, I mean, the DPU is giving common, common, uh, the um, avant-grade uh, uh, an opportunity. You know, they're, they're extending the the uh, opportunity to make a decision on whether or not they're going to take the contract, and it was based on their purchase power agreements. Um, so I know DPU said they're not going to – I think they said they're not going to renegotiate the purchase power agreements. So they're giving um, Avangrid an opportunity to say whether they're going to accept the terms or put in a uh, – or request to dismiss it. Um, I don't know how that's going to work out. Uh, I just don't know. I think they granted him a few days extension because I believe the deadline was in November 9th. So it feels like there's probably a lot more investment. There's there's so much investment in this, and it's been such like a you know almost a decades long project. Uh, it would be strange to uh, drop it last minute, but I, I mean we'll see, we'll see. Well, Mayor Mitchell's in the UK now. Uh, he should be back tomorrow. Is he back tonight? I think he was back for the Veterans Day Parade, right? So maybe he's back tonight. Um, and uh, if he is, then he'll be here. You know, he'll be here at least next week on the Tim Weisberg show. And I think he can provide a clearer picture on his uh, on his trip to um, his trip to uh, the the UK and and the status of the uh, the the Commonwealth Wind project. I mean, my guess just this is just purely me speculating, not really having like a um, an inside track or really even a, a greater depth of knowledge than most people on this. Uh, just saying, you know, at this juncture when they're ready to start their contracts, uh, feels like there's you know putting all these things in motion for the over, you know, a years long period of time and putting all the investment they've put into it. It seems difficult that, um, it's just going to, you know, basically all be kiboshed at essentially the last minute. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. All right. I got to take a break. Uh, 508-996-0500 is how you can get, um, on the program. I'm going to take another break, and then we'll be right back. This is South Coast Night. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow, uh, and actually, it'll be Friday night, which is always a fun show. Uh, but Chris will be back tomorrow, and we'll be back with New Bedford, former New Bedford Mayor Scott Lang. So you'll want to tune in for that. You know, Scott has a lot of experience uh, in the, you know, we're going to definitely ask him to react to the midterms react to the state elections. Obviously Scott has a lot of national, local and statewide experience um in the in the in campaigning and strategy, particularly in the Democratic Party. So looking forward to speaking with him uh on Friday. And it's fun. It's fun to it's fun to be on with. All right, I'm gonna take a break. 
WBSM app is... M- yes, 508-996-0500. So I can get in the program. We had uh, Congressman Jay Cockenclaus, good friend of the show. He was just on, uh, and we're going to have... We're going to have uh, Armin Thomas. He's a uh, elections mapper at a a political uh, elections website called Split Ticket. They do a lot of good work um, trying to figure out, you know, uh, basically who might win uh, based on the numbers and why somebody did win. Um, so kind of like a 538, right? And uh, I think they do good work. So um, I'm going to talk to... Mr. Thomas in the eight o'clock hour uh, about all this, you know, this, uh, I think still chaos. It's been, you know, we still don't know who has control of which chamber, right? The fact that the fact that the Democrats even have a path to victory is a failure of the Republican party, uh, just based on historic trends. I mean, you heard Jake Auchincloss say that he said, you know, the base historically, what do they lose? 18 seats at least. Um, they're going to be well under what the historic margin of victory uh, for uh, for a party out of power if there is even a margin of victory. I mean, if they come back and they lose both chambers, that's going to be incredible. And it's all but going to assure that Biden's going to run again, I think. I, I, I said that I might have said that on air. I don't know if I did. But I was like, if Biden, I think Biden's going to do fine in these midterms, like better than Obama did in 2010. And if he does then why don't they just roll them out again? It's a lot easier than having a president resign, right? The vice, his vice president's a lot more unpopular than he is, especially if, if he has to go against Donald Trump. By the way, I, I think Donald Trump beats Ron DeSantis in a primary. Um, I think it's going to happen if that's the primary. If it's just one versus, you know, if it's DeSantis versus Trump, I, I, I think I think Trump wins. But all right, I'm going to talk to Armin Thomas in the... Uh, in the in the eight o'clock hour.